When Emily's mother had died, and her small annuity had died with her, none of them had wanted the care of a big, raw-boned girl, and Emily had had the situation frankly explained to her. At eighteen, she had begun work as assistant teacher in a small school. The year following, she had taken a place as nursery governess. Then she had been reading companion to an unpleasant old woman in Northumberland, The old woman had lived in the country, and her relations had hovered over her like vultures awaiting her decease. The household had been gloomy and gruesome enough to have driven into melancholy madness any girl not of the sanest and most matter-of-fact temperament. Emily Fox Seaton had endured it with an unfailing good nature, which at last had actually awakened in the breast of her mistress a ray of human feeling. When the old woman at length died, and Emily was to be turned out into the world, it was revealed that she had been left a legacy of a few hundred pounds, and a letter containing some rather practical, if hardly expressed, advice. "'Go back to London,' Mrs. Maytham had written in her feeble, crabbed hand. "'You are not clever enough to do anything remarkable in the way of earning your living.' "'but you are so good-natured "'that you can make yourself useful "'to a lot of helpless creatures "'who will pay you a trifle for looking after them "'and the affairs they are too lazy "'or too foolish to manage for themselves. "'You might get on to one of the second-class fashion papers "'to answer ridiculous questions "'about housekeeping or wallpapers or freckles. "'You know the kind of thing I mean. "'You might write notes "'or do accounts and shopping for some lazy woman.' You are a practical, honest creature, and you have good manners. I have often thought that you had just the kind of commonplace gifts that a host of commonplace people want to find at their service. An old servant of mine who lives in Mortimer Street would probably give you cheap, decent lodgings and behave well to you for my sake. She has reason to be fond of me. Tell her I sent you to her, and that she must take you in for ten shillings a week." Emily wept for gratitude, and ever afterwards enthroned old Mrs. Maytham on an altar as a princely and sainted benefactor, though after she had invested her legacy, she got only twenty pounds a year from it. "'It was so kind of her,' she used to say with heartfelt humbleness of spirit. "'I never dreamed of her doing such a generous thing. I hadn't a shadow of a claim upon her, not a shadow.' It was her way to express her honest emotions with emphasis, which italicized, as it were, her outpourings of pleasure or appreciation. She returned to London and presented herself to the ex-serving woman. Mrs. Cupp had indeed reason to remember her mistress gratefully. At a time when youth and indiscreet affection had betrayed her disastrously, she had been saved from open disgrace and taken care of by Mrs. Maytham. The old lady who had then been a vigorous, sharp-tongued, middle-aged woman, had made the soldier-lover marry his despairing sweetheart, and when he had promptly drunk himself to death, she had set her up in a lodging-house which had thriven and enabled her to support herself and her daughter decently. On the second story of her respectable, dingy house, there was a small room which she went to some trouble to furnish for her dead mistress's friend. It was made into a bed-sitting-room, with the aid of a cot, which Emily herself bought, and disguised decently as a couch during the daytime, by means of a red and blue Como blanket. 
The one window of the room looked out upon a black little backyard and a sooty wall on which thin cats crept stealthily or sat and mournfully gazed at fate. The Como rug played a large part in the decoration of the apartment. One of them, with a piece of tape run through a hem, hung over the door in the character of a portiere. Another covered a corner which was Miss Fox Seaton's sole wardrobe. As she began to get work, the cheerful, aspiring creature bought herself a Kensington carpet square, as red as Kensington art would permit it to be. She covered her chairs with turkey-red cotton, frilling them round the seats. Over her cheap white muslin curtains, eight and eleven a pair at Robson's, she hung turkey-red ones. She bought a cheap cushion at one of Liberty's sales, and some bits of tuppany-ha'penny art china for her narrow mantelpiece. A lacquered tea tray and a tea set of a single cup and saucer, a plate and a teapot made her feel...